Well, it feels good to say what I'm about to say. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 58. And before I preach, I want to encourage you to continue to pray for Bill and Dana Street. Uh, the funeral for their son was this past uh, Friday. Bill did a superb job doing the eulogy, uh, being a blessing about that, and uh, just talking about their son. And Bill and Dana need our prayers. They are precious people. We've known them for 35 years, and they are some of the finest Christians I know. And many of you have been touched by their ministry. So please keep Bill and Dana in your prayers, all right? I want to talk to you today about going from religion to revival. And when I talk about revival, I'm just talking about living in the real power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not just talking about jumping up and down and being excited all the time. You can have revival in your soul and be still and know that he is God. But I want to encourage you, don't settle for religion when God wants to give you the real thing. God wants to give you a spirit-filled, revived life. And Isaiah is talking to people who had misunderstood that. And let me just give you a quick introduction to chapter 58. It's a strong chapter. And if you're not careful, you'll just think it's about fasting, but it's more than that. What he's saying to these people is you fast and you mourn and you go to the temple and you act like you're righteous and you do that thinking that you're earning the favor of God and that he's going to forgive you because you act religiously. And what he's saying is, you can't just act religiously. You've got to be in love with the Lord. You've got to really love God. And you've got to repent of your sins. And you've got to walk with him closely. It's not just about outward performance. And the way we would say it today, it's not just about coming to Bellevue. Oh, thank the Lord that you're here. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself don't forsake the assembling with all the saints. Don't, don't, don't ever miss a chance to go to a spirit-filled, Bible-preaching, Christ-honoring worship service. But if that's all you do, that's not enough. You've got to live and walk with the Lord. You've got to talk with Him. You've got to live with Him. You've got to let Him change you into what Jesus wants you to be. You've got to become more and more like Christ. So it's not just about filling a pew. It's not just about giving some money. It's not just about attending a life group. It's not just about a discipleship group. It's about falling in love with Jesus and becoming more like him every day of your life. So with that, let's talk about going from religion to revival. First of all, if you want to go from religion to revival, avoid the hypocrisy of religion. Now, you need to write that down. There are no blanks to fill in. And by the way, I was getting to the point where I was going to bring blanks back to you. But I preached recently to a bunch of preachers. And I thought if anybody would stay with you to the end, it would be a bunch of preachers. <laughs> but as soon, and I gave them blanks. But as soon as I got through that last blank, they were folding their Bibles, getting ready to go to lunch. And I said, I'll never do blanks again, even with preachers, all right? So 
Blame the preachers if you don't have your blanks, all right. If you want to go from religion to revival, avoid the hypocrisy of, re of religion. Notice the hypocrisy that was going on with the people of God in Isaiah's day. Look at verse 1. He says, cry loudly, don't hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people, Isaiah, their transgressions and to the house of Jacob their sins. The Lord said, cry loudly, expose Israel's hypocrisy. God didn't want to embarrass them. He wanted them to repent. He wanted them to turn. They were living in sin. They were acting like they were righteous. Look at verse 2. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. They acted religious. And they thought that's all God wanted. They fasted, they prayed, but they were living in sin, yet they didn't understand why God would not answer their prayers. Verse 3, why have we fasted and you didn't see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you didn't notice? Lord, we fasted. We humbled ourselves before you. Humbling and fasting are used there as the same thing. He said, why weren't you impressed? Isaiah quickly gave the answer to their question. He said, behold, on the day you fasted, of your fast, you find your desires, you drive hard all your workers. Now the New Living Translation, and I want to just tell you, I'm really thinking about going to that translation when I preach. One of the best translations out there. The New Living Translation explains this very vividly. Verses 3 and 4. Let me read this to you in the New Living. We have fasted before you. They're talking to God. They say, why aren't you impressed, God? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why, God responds. It's because you are fasting to please yourself. While you fast, you're oppressing your workers. Did you know that God cares about how you treat people? Even the people that work for you, look at verse 4. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. God doesn't just care about how you act when you get out of the car at church. He cares about how you act on the way to church. And before, when you woke up with your family and all week long, God said, you're not living right. Doesn't matter how much you fast. If you're living in sin, fasting does not obligate God to bless you. That's what Isaiah is saying. And so Isaiah concluded his view of their so-called fasting. Verse 4, Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You fast trying to manipulate God even though you're mistreating other people. Fasting isn't just outward religious ritual. It's also representative of a heart that is right with God. Look at verse 4. It goes on to say, You don't fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? If you fast and you still rebel and live in sin, God's not impressed. He was telling them, avoid the hypocrisy of religion. 
You know who else said that? Jesus. Jesus called out the hypocritical Jewish religious leaders of his day. Now, if you think some of us Baptist preachers preach strong, wait till you hear Jesus. Listen to this. Matthew 23, New Living Translation, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds <coughs> and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with, that's their phylacteries, and with the scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit in the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. And Jesus said, don't you let anybody call you rabbi, for you only have one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. Don't address anybody here on earth as your father. That includes anybody that wants to be a religious father. No, they're not a father, for only God is your heaven, in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now Jesus then lowers the boom and starts talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He said, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, that is a two-faced person. That's exactly what hypocrite means. For you cross land and sea to make one convert, then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say that it, it means nothing to wear, to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold of the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind? For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you're swearing by it and everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you're swearing by it and by God, you, you who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you're swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, that is two-faced men, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you two-faced people, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside 
You are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, and you hypocrites, are you Pharisees? Hypocrites, two-faced people, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outward, outwardly, you look like righteous people. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Avoid the hypocrisy of religion. Christian, God wants more than religious activity out of you. He wants more than you just coming to church. He wants more than you just saying your prayers. He wants you to pray your prayers. He wants more than you just singing songs of worship. He wants you to pour out your, song, your soul in praise. He doesn't need your money. He wants more than your tithe. He wants you to have a grateful heart. He doesn't want you just to do without food when you fast. He wants you to thirst and hunger for righteousness with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You're to love him. He demands and he deserves your heartfelt obedience. Oh, avoid the hypocrisy of religion. Don't just go through the motions this morning. Really love Jesus. Secondly, if you want to go from religion to revival, appropriate the hope of repentance. Appropriate the hope of repentance. You've got to turn from your sin. Appropriate the hope. There's hope when you repent. Beginning in verse 6, he emphasized the need for repentance. He affirmed fasting. That's a biblical discipline. But it had to be united with repentance. They couldn't live in unrighteousness and injustice and just fast and think that God would be pleased. Look at verse 6. Is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. The New Living translates this a lot more vividly. Look at this. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need him, them and don't hide from relatives who need your help. When you do godly things, for godly reasons, God will bless you. Look at verse 8. Then your light will break out like the dawn. If you'll do the right thing, God will bless you. Your recovery will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. How many of you know we don't just need God in front of us, we need Him behind us, amen? When you get right with God, no, your life won't just be easy. There is no easy Christian life. If that's what you're looking for, you're looking in the wrong place. Every person in here has gone through tough times. And if you haven't, you will. God doesn't promise you lack of problems. But he does say, I'll be with you in those problems. And I will, according to my will, forgive you, 
I'll hear your prayer and I'll answer you. Verse 9, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry and he will say, here I am. The Lord refuses to bless you though until you obey him. He said, if you remove the yoke from your midst, if you'll stop oppressing people, if you remove the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you'll stop accusing innocent people, and if you'll give yourself to the hungry, if you'll feed people who are hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your gloom will become like midday. God will love you in the midst of all your troubles with a high level of love. The Lord will be with you. And once the people of Israel repented of their religious performances, the Lord promised to guide and strengthen them. Look at verse 11. And the Lord will continually guide you, satisfy your desire in scorched places, give strength to your bones. I'm going to tell you something. The older you get, the more you understand bones are important. <laughs> Can I have an amen by all the folks out there? Amen. Amen. If you don't believe that, get one out of line. I've been praying, God bless my bones. Amen. He'll give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters don't fail. Now, we don't think a lot about water. We get a lot of rain, but in the Middle East, they don't get much rain. Rain is very precious to them. And when God talks about water, you know, when Jesus talked about living water, everybody wanted water where they were because they were in an arid desert-like area. <clears throat> God said, I'll give you water in your scorched places, springs of water whose waters don't fail. And then they'd also build back their former cities that the Babylonians and the Assyrians had destroyed. Look at verse 12. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. Talking about Jerusalem. You'll Raise up the age-old foundations, and you'll be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. That's the hope <coughs> of repentance. Excuse me. That was their only hope. James, the brother of Jesus and the first senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem, agreed that repentance, if it's real, is displayed in practical religion. You want to read a book on practical religion? That's why James is in the Bible. If you don't like bluntness, don't read James. He says in James 1.27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Serving other people and walking in purity. That's what God wants. He doesn't want you thinking about yourself all the time and your family all the time. He wants you to serve other people and he wants you to walk honestly, openly, and in integrity. That's what God wants. And God says, you do that and that's how you repent. That's how you appropriate the hope 
of repentance. Religion, real religion, is more, as I said a moment ago, than just attending a worship service. Hey, I'm glad you're here, but you're not doing God a favor by being here. If you think you did God a favor for coming, you need to think a little bit less of yourself and more of God. If we could see who we we're trying to worship today, we wouldn't just be attending. We'd be on our faces in adoration. Religion is more than just going to church, attending a worship service, singing a song, listening to some sermon, even taking notes. Some of y'all take notes, and I'm grateful, but look at me. That's not enough. It's not enough just to pray a little prayer and give some money and then go to the house and live like you want the rest of the week. That, that's not good enough. That doesn't cut it. You have to respond to God's Word with genuine repentance. You have to be sincere. You have to do a U-turn. You can't even get saved unless you repent. Jesus said in Luke 13, 5, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Peter said the same thing in Acts 3, 19, therefore repent and return that your sins may be washed away. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Paul said the same thing. You got Peter, you got Jesus, you got Paul. Look, when they agree on something, you ought to do it. Paul said in Acts 17, 30, therefore, having overlooked the times of your ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. You say, Brother Steve, I need to turn my religion into the real deal. I want revival, okay? Appropriate the hope of repentance. Now, if you want to turn religion into revival, you have to avoid the hypocrisy of religion. You can't be a two-faced or a two-souled person. You have to appropriate the hope of repentance. You've got to repent. But there's one more thing. When you do that, here's the good part. Save the good part for last. Abide. You can then abide in the happiness of revival. I want to tell you, you can have joy in your heart even though your heart is breaking. You can have a holy happiness even when things are going bad all around you. Even when things are not right in your family. Even when things are not right in your health. I watched a video recently of a man who lost all four of his limbs and he is on fire for Jesus Christ. And he's going forward. He's moving on. Man, if you're breathing, you ought to just thank God. 
and not complain as much. I'm talking to Steve right now, okay? Why should you complain? Yes, you've got problems, but God wants you to abide in the happiness of revival. Look at verses 13 and 14. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord. I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth. I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's God's stamp of approval on what he just said. Isaiah told them, be genuine, be authentic, observe the Sabbath, but do it genuinely. Turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. Don't live like you want to live. Live like the Lord wants you to live. Call the Sabbath a delight. When it's time to go to worship God, say, praise God. It's time to go worship with my brothers and sisters. This is the holy day of the Lord, honorable. So honor it. Desist from your own selfish ways. Desist from seeking your own sinful pleasure. And desist from speaking sarcastic words. The New Living Translation translate verse 13. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interest on that day. Enjoy the Sabbath. Speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then Isaiah concludes in verse 14. Telling them the reward if they'll abide in the happiness of revival. He says in verse 14... Then you'll take delight in the Lord. I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth. I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, let's look at the New Living Translation. Look on the, on the screen. Then the Lord, this is verse 14, New Living Translation, will be your delight. I will give you great honor. I'll satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. If you will do what I say, if you'll humble yourself and repent, you will abide in the happiness of revival. The most important text of Scripture on abiding in Jesus is in John 15. My friend Bill Street quotes this verse, all this text, all the time. John 15, I, Jesus said, am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. How many of you have ever been pruned by the Lord? Anybody? The Lord's not into our comfort, is He? He's into our Christ-likeness. And He lets things happen and it hurts. It hurts deeply. But he's pruning us. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I, let's read verse five together. Read it with me out loud. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now listen, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. That's Jesus talking about hell right there. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. That's where I get praying scripture right there. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples, just as the Father has loved me. I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Now listen, that your joy, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full or complete. You want to be a joyful Christian? Abide in the Lord. Let me just tell you what it means. It's very much like I lay myself flat on the Lord. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's just resting in Jesus. Some of y'all want to wrestle with God when God is saying, I want you to rest in me. I just want you to rest in me. You don't have to understand everything that I'm doing. I just want you to rest and abide in me. I just want you to come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle. I'll take care of you. I'll pull you into myself. And I'm going to tell you, there is nothing better when you are hurting than to let Jesus just put his arms around you and pull you in. Man, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Abide in Jesus. Are you abiding in the happiness of revival? Do you have the real thing? Or do you just have some kind of little surface religion? I don't want that. I want to wake up, get in the Word, and read it until He talks to me. I want to talk to Him and cast all my cares upon Him and pray for people who are hurting. I think it makes a difference. I think we should pray like it matters. I want to commit my day to the Lord and ask Him to bless it. I believe I'll have a better day if I'll just ask Jesus to bless it than I do if I don't have pray for His blessing. I don't want to just let life happen. I want to really live. I want to abide in the happiness of revival. I went and listened, and I would encourage you to listen to a song by Mercy Me called Say I Won't. Listen to these words, and you'll understand why these guys are still singing 20-something years after they started. Today it all begins I'm seeing my life for the very first time through a different lens. Yesterday, I didn't understand driving 35 with a rocket inside. Didn't know what I had while I've been waiting to live. My life's been waiting on me. While I've been waiting to live, my life's been waiting on me. I'm going to run. No, I'm going to fly. I'm going to know what it means to live and not just be alive. That's a good. I'm not going to just 
be alive. I want to know what it's like to live. The world's going to hear because I'm going to shout. I'll be dancing with circumstances. Drown the music out. Say I won't. Not enough. It's what I've been told. Must be a lie because the spirit inside says I'm so much more. So let them say what they want. Oh, I dare them to try. I'm going to run. No, I'm going to fly. I'm going to know what it means to live and not just be alive. The world's going to hear because I'm going to shout. And I'll be dancing when circumstances drown the music out. Say I won't. Say I won't. Say I won't. Say I won't. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So keep on saying I won't and I'll keep proving you wrong because I'm going to run. No, I'm going to fly. I'm going to know what it means to live and not just be alive. The world's going to hear because I'm going to shout. I'll be dancing when circumstances drown the music out. Say I won't. Say I won't. Say I won't. Do you know what it means to live, really live, and not just to breathe, not just to be alive? Are you madly in love with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he the love of your life? Do you have a sense of his presence around you? Do you wake up and say, good morning, Lord? Before you go to bed, do you say, good night, Lord Jesus? Wake up in the middle of the night, do you say, hello, Lord? You know, he's always awake. Isn't that wonderful? He never sleeps. That's what revival is. That's what the real thing is. That's what living in the Holy Spirit's anointing is. That's what we ought to desire more than our next breath. I don't want religion. I don't want to just go through the motions of fasting and going to church and giving my tithe and all that. I don't want, that's not all I want. I, I'm going to do those things, but I want to do it out of a heart of love for Jesus. I want to avoid the hypocrisy of religion. I want to appropriate the hope of repentance. I want to repent. We're always, we are repenters. We're always repenting. Always repenting. I'm always asking God to forgive me for something because I want to stay close to him. And then I want to abide in the happiness of revival. Just say I won't because that's the way I want to live. And that's the way you ought to want to live. Don't live in dead religion. Live in the life of real revival. Amen. Let's thank God for Isaiah 58. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord.